Alright, so uh, we're going to get into God's Word right now. So please turn with me to uh, Exodus 15, uh, verse 22. And if you need a Bible, or if you would like a physical copy of the sermon notes, please raise up your hand. So Bible, the sermon notes. Uh, we are in Exodus uh, 15, starting from uh, verse 22. And the ushers uh, will be handing those out. So just sort of make eye contact if you would like a Bible or sermon notes. Uh, so we, we've been following uh, the Israelite journey, uh, starting from their exit out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And uh, crossing the Red Sea was a, a critical starting point uh, for the journey, because through crossing the Red Sea, uh, God completely freed the Israelites from the control of, of the Egyptians. So, 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 the, so the power of their old master, Pharaoh, w- was destroyed. And, and the Israelites, you know, crossed through the sea. You know, they crossed the border supernaturally out of the land of, of slavery. So coming out of the Red Sea, the Israelites w- were redeemed, right? They, they were now God's people. Um, and they have to start learning what it meant to live as God's people freed from slavery. Uh, so, so last week, uh, if you were here, Wayne, uh, he took us through one lesson God was trying to teach the Israelites, uh, the lesson that God provides for his people and, and God's people, you know, trust and depend to, on him to provide what they need every day of their life. And, and so God miraculously provided the Israelites with, with manna uh, to teach them that he is a good master who cares for his people. Um, but we actually saw that the Israelites had a very hard time uh, trusting that God was faithful and good. You know, they, they, in their minds, you know, they, they still felt like, you know, that, that God was like Pharaoh, that God was a bad master like Pharaoh, that he could change his mind at any moment. Um, so God, day by day, would send them manna. And day by day, they would learn that God is good. God provides them with what they need. They didn't have to feel like they had to fend for themselves, to hoard, um, because God is a good master. God is a good God for them. So, so this morning, we're, we're going to zoom out, and we're going to take a, a bigger picture of, of Israelites' journey through the desert. Uh, so we're going to sort of rewind a bit, and we're going to look at uh, God's first thought for the Israelites right after they came from the Red Sea. And then we're going to fast forward to, to their destination right after they started to get manna in the wilderness. Uh, so we're, we're going to read the first part, starting from uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Just, just follow along in, uh, in God's word uh, as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and threw it into the water, and the water became wet. There the Lord made him a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So, so have any of you ever felt that uh, God tricked you into becoming a Christian? Uh, because I have. <laughs> so, so for quite a long period after I became a Christian, I, I felt like God tricked me. So, so I decided to, to repent of my sin and, and follow Jesus when I was 18. 
And at that point, I was in a very low point in my life. So I had a lot of, you know, broken and unhealthy relationships with people in my life, you know, friends and family. And I was actually a very angry person. And it was through all these circumstances, these relationships, that God brought me to see how much of a sinner I was and how much I needed him to save me from my own selfishness that had caused so many of the problems in my life around me. And after I decided to, to follow Jesus, my, my life completely changed. Uh, you know, so fast that I actually didn't realize it. Uh, people would be like, how come you're so nice now? And be like, what? Wasn't I nice before? And they're like, no, you weren't. <laughs> uh, so, so I started to become a part of a church community. You know, and, and I felt very blessed and joyful and happy uh, to be, be part of God's family. Uh, but that lasted for a couple months. until uh, so I learned more about what it meant to obey Jesus as my Lord. Uh, so... I started to learn about things that God wanted me to do that I didn't want to do. You know, I have to forgive people, and I don't want to do that. Uh, I have to submit to my leaders. I don't like them. I think they're incompetent. Uh, I have to attend Sunday worship every week. Oh, man. I have to wake up so early. And our services were like at 9.30 a.m. Uh, and then there are also things that, you know, I wanted to do, but I, I couldn't do anymore. Uh, so oh, I can't download movies illegally. That's stealing. Oh, darn it. <laughs> So, so I felt a little bit, you know, tricked by God, uh, you know, but, you know, I had already decided to follow him, so, so it was too late. Uh, so, so, you know, I felt in my heart, you know, that life was pretty, pretty boring, uh, not, not much fun anymore, uh, probably like more boring than many of you must have felt sitting at home for the past couple of weeks, you know, uh, in self-isolation. So, so I felt like I was, I was in a desert, right? You know, it's hot, it's sticky, it's smelly, but, but I got to keep moving forward, I got to keep obeying God. Uh, but, but a part of me felt like very bitter, right? I felt very unsatisfied. You know, I had some complaints in my heart. Uh, and that's what the Israelites are starting to feel at this point in their, in their journey with God. So they, they started right over here, crossing the Red Sea, and they started singing praises. They were so happy and so joyous. And then, uh, you know, for uh, three days or more, or at least three days, they traveled, traveled from point three to point four to Mara. But now the water supply that they brought from Egypt uh, is running out and they're starting to feel, you know, the heat and the harsh desert environment around them. You know, they finally come to a place where it looks like they'll find some relief from it only to find out that the water isn't good. It's bitter. Uh, it's bad for them. It's going to make them sick. So, so if you're an Israelite, you're probably wondering like, you know, God, do you really know what you're doing? You know, wh- where are you leading us? Um, but, you know, despite their circumstances, it was actually very clear that God was leading the Israelites because they would wake up each day, they would see this giant pillar in front of them moving, and they would follow that pillar. So the first thing we see in this passage is this. You know, God is purposely testing faith. You know, God purposely brought the Israelites from this high point of appraising him and worshiping him down to a low point, made sure all the water was running out. And he brought Israelite to a circumstance where their confidence in him would, would be challenged by what they faced in life. Now, 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 when it says that God is testing the Israelites, you know, he's not marking the Israelites on how they're doing. They're, he's not giving them a pass or fail. Um, you know, these tests, uh, you know, are trials for the Israelites, are not trials for, for the Israelites to prove that they're worthy of God because um, if they if they was, then they wouldn't be able to have made it to the Red Sea. They would have failed long ago. Um, 
the, these, these tests were meant to teach the Israelites what it meant to serve and worship God. What, what God, their new master, wanted of them. So God tests his people for the purpose of building and growing their faith in him. And that's what God starts to do, right? As soon as the Israelites start to complain and grumble about the situation, he starts to teach them. And we see that God, he teaches faith by miraculous provision in this this Bible passage, right? He turns the water that was bitter and undrinkable and and he makes it sweet. And and this is like water that's better than just a Brita filter. It's better than, you know, water bottled from Fiji and pay a large large amounts of money for. <laughs> see, see, but by turning the, the bitter water sweet, God was teaching the Israelites that his presence with them can make even the harshest and most bitter circumstances that they face in the desert, you know, sweet and prosperous and, and, and full of life. You know, he was showing that he was with the Israelites for good. Now in verse 26, Uh, God tells the Israelites what it is that he's trying to teach them exactly. This is what verse 26 says. If if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. See, God is teaching what it means to follow him, to have faith in him. And he's teaching them that, you know, obedience to him brings life and salvation. You know, God is saying, you know, follow me, obey me, and, and all the plagues that you saw me punish the Egyptians with will, will, will never happen to you. You know, the Egyptians were punished by various plagues, many which actually brought disease and death because they refused to obey God. And God promised the Israelites that they would be spared from all of it if they obeyed him. Um... The problem was they had already uh, shown themselves to uh, fail miserably at doing that <laughs> because the bitter water revealed the Israelites' bitter heart towards God. It revealed that their hearts were bitter and sick. You know, at, at the first sign of trouble, they responded by complaining to God even after all of the good things that he had done for them. So, so by cleansing the bitter water, God was at the same time temporarily fixing the, the hearts and, of the Israelites and, and their lack of trust in him. So, so, so God ends his promise saying, I am the Lord, your healer. And you know, you know, God is saying to the Israelites, you need to trust that I'm able to heal your hearts so that you can obey me and not experience the punishment and disease I brought on the Egyptians. God could do what the Israelites needed him to do in their lives and in their hearts. What they needed to do was to trust in what he's doing, to follow his leading step by step. Um, but as we saw last week, uh, the Israelites are very slow learners. Um, so after this, you know, first lesson, they continue to journey through the desert um, and were brought to, uh, to see that the Israelites have growing, unreceptive hearts to God, right? Um, he leads them, right? From here, from, so from point four, they walk to point five. For point five, they actually journey for a month all the way to around point six here. And uh, that's, when, um, that's when they start to run out of food, okay? God allows them, all, all the food they brought from Egypt, it's running out now. And that's when we talk about, you know, God providing manna with them. Um, but before that, they, they start to complain again. And this is what they say, right? They, they say, 
would that we had uh, died by the hand of the Lord. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, we, we see that the Israelites aren't really having the right reaction to what God is doing in their life. Right? They felt like dying in Egypt as slaves was better than being with God in the desert. You know, they believed that life as a slave was better and more satisfying than following God. You know, they, they even accused God of having bad intentions for them. You know, God's bringing them out to, to kill them. And, and we see that even though the Israelites were, were, were physically, physically farther away from Egypt, you know, Egypt was still very close to their hearts. But here again, God shows his goodness. You know, he, he provides the manna for them and he continues to teach them. This is what it means to trust and obey me day by day. Uh, but uh, things don't get better. That They actually get worse. <laughs> so uh, please turn with me to Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. So the Israelites continue to follow God's leading on the journey and, and God tests them again w- w- with a similar situation. You know, similar to uh, the first one that has to do with water. So l- l- let me give you a background to this, to this third instance. Right? We looked at the first, we summarized the second from last week, and now we're looking at this third uh, destination, this third point on, on God's journey with the Israelites. So right now they're traveling uh, <clears throat> from point six here. All right, They're traveling all the way, not, not too far, relatively. They're traveling all the way to around point seven. So follow along as I read. Uh, All the congregation of the people moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it for the people to drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Uh, so, so here we see the Israelites, they're grumbling and complaining. It's actually nothing new. We've, we've seen it again before. Uh, but there is something new here. In verse 2, it says that the people also start to quarrel and test God. See, see what the Israelites did here was actually quite bad. You know, bad enough for the location to be named after what they did. You know, Meribah means quarreling, Massa means testing. So it's like a flashing sign to, to them. It's like, hey, remember what you did here? Never, ever do that again. That, that is very bad. 
But what is it exactly that the Israelites do that that, that, that was so bad? Well, well, first they, they quarreled with Moses, and, and quarreling here it's it's not just a heated argument. Uh, quarreling is more like a formal charge on behalf of the people about Moses' leadership. You know, they've gathered together and they're saying to Moses, you know, you've messed up, you're not leading us right. You know, they're putting Moses on trial and deciding if they should kill him or not, right? They're, he's saying, you know, the people are almost ready to stone me. They're talking about, should we kill him? Does he deserve to die? You know, because in the minds of the Israelites, right, he had led God and Moses had led them to a place where they're going to die of thirst. And, and of course, Moses corrects them and says, you're not just putting me on trial. You, you're, you're putting God on trial for everything that's happened so far. You know, you, you, you're, you're, te- you're testing God. See, what happens here is that the Israelites decide to reverse their roles with God. Where they make themselves the leaders and tell God, this is what needs to be done in my life on this journey. Now, they're the ones who be, become the judge of God. You know, they're accusing God of wrongdoing, of not treating them right, and demanding that God pays them back for it. You know, you know they're, they're telling God, we're not taking one more step with you until you do exactly what I want you to do in exactly the way that I want it. They're, they're doubting God's presence. They're demanding his provision. They're denying his protection over their life. What does it mean to test God? Testing God is challenging him to prove himself to you. It's questioning if God is really being faithful to you. you know, it's saying to God, prove that you're with me by doing this for me. Prove that you're worth following by giving this to me. I don't believe you're really helping me. I don't believe you can really save me. Do something. Prove it to me. You know, it's demanding God to meet your conditions before you decide to trust and obey him. It's giving God a pass or fail test based on your expectations. It's wanting him to do what you want according to your own time schedule. It's believing that God owes you because of your current circumstances and demanding payment from him. And when you actually look at all of the things God has done for Israel up to this point, you know, the 10 plagues that brought them out of Egypt, dividing the Red Sea, destroying their enemies, all the provisions, you know, it actually makes no sense, right? God has been so good to them, so merciful to them, and all they can do is complain and quarrel and protest and overthrow his leadership. You know, you know God's presence was, was so clearly, clearly with them the whole time. I mean, they literally woke up that morning, they, they saw a giant pillar in front of them, picked up manna from the ground, and then went to complain to God and be like, what are you doing? So, so try to think of things from God's point of view. All right? imagine, imagine you're thinking of it from God's point of view. And, and when you do, you, you actually start to wonder if, if maybe God should, should punish them like the Egyptians because they haven't even taken one step forward in trusting him. You know, in fact, they've actually gone, gotten backwards. Every time God does something greater, they get worse and rebel even more. But how does God respond? How does God respond? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. Chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. We actually see God is acting gracious and mercifully. You know, the, the people have put God on trial. The, the, the demanding that an answer be given. And even though he's supposed to be the one testing them, he actually allows them to test him. He, he, he calls the leaders of the people to follow him and he takes them to a place where he's going to give an answer to the charges against him. 
So you see, see these elders, they're the leaders who can actually keep Moses from being stoned or not. So, so this is a very formal and official event that's going on in chapter 17. You know, the leaders are going with Moses and all the people are watching and following them out uh, as witnesses. And in front of them is God's presence going before them, leading them to the place where he will give an answer for their accusations and demands. And they're going to give a judgment based on what God does or says. So, 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 so the pillar of God's presence, you know, it goes ahead of them. It stops in front of a large rock at the base of Mount Sinai, which just in case so you don't get confused, it's Mount, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same mountain. Uh, so, so what happens is Moses strikes the rock and, and water starts to flow from it. The water that the Israelites were demanding. You know, the water supernaturally flows and provides enough water for all of the hundreds of thousands of Israelites. And it continued to flow for the many months that the Israelites stay in the Mount Sinai area. You know, it was God's undeniable answer that his presence and provision was definitely with the people. It, it was also another reminder that God was able to provide all that they need for life to flourish in the wilderness. You know, because of the rock, Moses is let off the hook and he rebukes the people for what they did by naming the location after their sin. And, and it's here that we actually are left with a picture of how merciful and gracious God is to his people. You know, God is merciful. He, he doesn't judge the people for judging him, even after he had already warned them of what the consequences were. You know, instead, God let himself be unfairly tested by the people. But, but even more than that, God was, he was gracious. You know, God didn't God gave the people what they didn't deserve. They didn't deserve to have more provision, supernatural miracles done for them. They deserved judgment. But God instead gave even more. He gave an unlimited supply of water for them in the desert, supernaturally. Now, now when we think through the whole story, we're actually left with a few questions. So, so how come God could be so merciful and gracious to the Israelites, even though they didn't follow him faithfully? How come he didn't punish them like the Egyptians? The Egyptians basically got like, you know, like one chance, and then after that they were punished. And they kept getting punished for every chance that they denied. The Israelites at this point, they haven't been punished at all. They've only been given good things, gracious things, merciful things. How come there's such a big difference? And the answer can be found uh, as you bring all of these things together into our main point this morning. This is our main point. Don't test God to meet your conditions. Let him test your trust in Christ's provision. Let's say that together. Don't test God to meet your conditions. Let him test your trust in Christ's provision. See, the Israelite journey in the wilderness is a lesson for how we should respond and not respond to the various circumstances we face in our journey with God. See, the, the wrong response is testing God. You know, to look at our current life circumstance and situation and question, you know, God, are, are you really with me? Are, are you really working for, for my good? And, and testing is more than just being unsure of what God is doing. There are uncertainties of life, and that's, that's true. But it's an attitude that demands that God gives an answer about your circumstances because you believe it's not what is best for you right now. You know, it's making your obedience conditional on what you want God to do instead of trusting that he is with you and will provide what you need if you follow him. 
it's, it's saying things like, uh, God, you know, getting this promotion is really important. Uh, if you let me have it, I promise to give more of my time to serve you. Uh, or, or, you know, God, I've been serving at this church for, for so long and it has so many problems. If you don't f- f- fix things soon, I give up. You know, or, or God, I've been reaching out to this person for so long with your love, but they don't seem to be turning to you. You know, if you don't do something within the next month, uh, I'm going to stop caring about this person. Or God, I just lost my job, but you promised to provide for my needs. You know, do you actually care for me? Do you actually exist, God? Or, or, or God, I've been praying to you so long about the healing of my brother. If you don't heal him, what, what's the point in following you? Uh, or, or, or God, you know, I've been um, waiting for a faithful, you know, Christian spouse for so long. Why haven't you given me to one? You know, I, I think I deserve one. Or, or, or God, you know, how can you let my Christian friend pass away so young? Are, are you really worth following? Are, are you really good to your people? See, there are many different circumstances where we can test God in our life, where we demand Him to fulfill His promises the way we want, where we make obedience dependent on what He does for us, where we feel like God owes us something for what He failed to do. But instead of testing God at every point in our faith journey, God calls us to let Him test our faith in His presence and provision. See, see, our first response in every situation we face should, should be to ask, you know, God, how do you want me to test you? How, how do you want me to trust you? God, how do you, you want me to trust you? You know, wh- what part of your character do I need to rely on right now? What promise from your word do I need to hold on to in faith? What does it mean for me to be faithful and obedient to you in my situation right now in life? You know, it's saying, even though I don't like my situation and I don't know why I'm going through it, God, I trust that you're with me and will provide exactly what I need to follow you right here and now. Trusting God is depending on Him, not demanding from Him. It's choosing to obey Him before you see His provision. It's believing God's provision and leading in your circumstance is what's best. It's waiting for God to take care of your needs in his own time and way. Don't test God to meet your conditions. Let him test your trust in Christ's provision. Don't test God to meet your conditions. Let him test your trust in Christ's provision. But but, but where does Jesus fit into all of this? We we didn't read about Jesus in in the whole passage this morning. Where does the gospel fit into this? You know, how come God can be so merciful and gracious and provide for the Israelites even though they weren't faithful? I'm going to read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 10. It's on, it'll be on the screen. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. 
See, the reason why God could be so merciful and gracious to the Israelites was because of what Jesus did at the cross. You know, Jesus was to die for their sin and rebellion in the future so God could overlook their sin and give them grace in their present. The, the rock is a foreshadowing, you know, a picture for what Jesus did for his people at the cross. You know, it, it was God's answer to a people who constantly complain against him, who test him, who want to overthrow their leadership in his life. So you see, at the rock on Mount Horeb, you know, God was put on trial before his people. And, and Moses, as God's representative, was to die if no satisfactory answer was given to the leaders. But Moses' life was spared. And instead, the rock that God's presence was covering was struck, and supernatural provision of water came for the Israelites. And the reason this could happen was because thousands of years later, the Son of God would be put on trial unjustly by sinful men, and he would be struck down, allowing his blood to be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Moses' life was spared because Jesus' life was sacrificed. The physical provision that God miraculously supplied to the Israelites was a result of the greater spiritual provision that Jesus had brought for them. See, God's gracious presence and provision is given through Jesus. God's gracious presence and provision is given through Jesus. You know, Jesus' sacrifice for sin is what paid for the provision that Jesus gave Israel to journey with him. God's sacrifice for sin is what pays for the provision and grace we need to journey with God. You know, the rock was God's initial answer um, <clears throat> to the Israelites questioning and testing if God was really with him. But Jesus is the ultimate answer to all of our testing and questions directed against God. You know, when, when you question God, are, are you really loving and good? His answer is Jesus Christ crucified for your sin. When you ask God to prove himself, his answer is Jesus Christ crucified for your sin. When you feel like God owes you, the cross shows that you actually owe God. When you demand God to meet your conditions before obeying, God shows you Jesus is more than enough for you to obey him here and now. When you doubt if God will provide, God answers that Jesus has already paid for all of your needs. The question is, will you trust that God's provision through Jesus is enough? His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. 2 Peter 1.3 his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need. Don't test God to meet your conditions. Let him test your trust in Christ's provision. The last point for today is this. Trust in God brings enjoyment and blessing of Jesus' presence. See, God tests us, God tests us for the purpose of building and growing our faith in Him. And, and as we test, as we trust God, that's when we actually experience and realize the blessing of His presence around us. You know, God's presence and blessing was so clearly evident with the Israelites, but, but they were so filled with unbelief and longing so much for their old way of life as slaves that they were blind to God right in front of them. 
because they didn't allow God to test their faith, they couldn't enjoy all the things God was doing for them day by day. See, what was supposed to happen on the journey is that as God brought the Israelites to different points where they had to trust in his provision, they, they, they would see and experience more of his presence with them. So, so when they came to Marah, they should have experienced the God who makes the bitter things sweet, the God who heals them from all of their pain and suffering they experienced in Egypt. When they were in need of food, and if, if they had trusted God, they should have experienced how God's presence truly satisfies all of their needs and longings and desires. Now, what the Israelites didn't know was that the presence of God was actually the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Right? They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. See, the Israelites were literally walking with Jesus the whole time, but they didn't even realize it. And that's because God had not revealed himself fully as the second person of the Son. But, but that's not the case with us. Right? Jesus has been revealed to us. That he is the Lord, our healer, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are healed. That he is the true manna, the living bread who came down from heaven. He is the source of living water who says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. See, God's gracious provision in the desert was the presence of Jesus himself walking with the Israelites. You know, all, all of the physical provision was, was nothing compared to the spiritual provision they had with them. And, and this is even truer with us. You know, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us. You know, he's promised to be with us to the end of the age. But like the Israelites, you know, many times we're, we're blind to the presence of Jesus in our lives. You know, we're so attached to our previous way of life in slavery to sin. You know, we're tempted by the desert of the world around us that we can't see the goodness of Jesus' presence walking with us step by step. So I'm going to invite Josh to come up and we're going to have a time of response, a time to examine our hearts, you know, especially in our current situation. You know, are, are, are you testing God or are you letting him test you right now? Are you testing God in your heart? Are you letting him test you? you know, what are the things that you're asking God for right now in your life? And think, if those things don't come, if those things don't come, would you still joyfully and willingly trust and obey him? What are you asking God for in your life right now? If those things don't come in the way that you want it, will you still choose to willingly and joyfully obey him? What are the things you're currently demanding God to do for you right now? See, see, we, we should bring our needs and desires to God. He, he tells us to. But when we start demanding things from Him, that's when we start to test Him. So you see, many times testing, uh, it doesn't happen right away. Uh, like the Israelites, it, it starts with just complaining to God about your situation. You know, believing that God somehow tricked you into following Him. See, these, these attitudes and feelings are signs that we've let sin creep into our hearts to blind us to Jesus' goodness and presence in our lives. So let's just take some time right now uh, to, to pray, um, to reflect, to lift up our complaints and questions to God 
and you know, ask Him to heal our hearts. Help us to trust Him so that we can enjoy the blessing of His presence. Father in heaven, we come to you. Would you search our hearts right now, God? So many times we're like the Israelites. We just have so many things directed against you in our hearts. Would you, would you forgive us, Lord Jesus? Would you bring us back to the cross? Help us to see how you have provided so much for us, how you've been so good to us, how we have breath and life here and now, how we can worship together here and now because of your goodness and presence with us. Would you forgive us for testing you, for complaining against you? Would you help us to to trust you? Would you reveal more of who you are so that we can trust you rightly in our lives, Lord Jesus? In your name we pray.